Well, today we're, we're beginning in chapter 3, and I will be honest with you, when I was looking forward in Romans before I left, I was not super thrilled going into chapter 3 and 4, because at first glance, it seems repetitive, it's not as flashy as some of the other stuff you see, and the natural response for a human being who enjoys excitement, you kind of go, oh, yay. Yeah, it's like, oh, fun. <laughs> but we need to drill down, because even in what seems to be mundane, there's nothing mundane in Scripture. We may observe it as such, but there's power, and there's something for us to see and learn. And so today you'll hear language that uh, Paul uses to the people he's writing to in Rome, and you'll hear language that refers back to circumcision and the law and some Old Testament language that for us in the 21st century, especially those of us that are not really familiar with that kind of language in Scripture, it can kind of go, hey, yay, that sounds awful. (laughs) Circumcision, all that kind of stuff. And we just left chapter 2 where Paul's addressing the act of circumcision that was a physical uh, marker that they were God's people. And Paul is saying now to Gentiles and to Jews alike that it's about the circumcision of the heart. Now, For Jews, hearing that Gentiles are now part of God's equation, that is a challenging thing to hear. It may not mean much to some of us, but that was huge. That was scandalous. It would have been all over the internet. Paul says, Gentiles can get in. (laughs) What? It's a big deal. So chapter 3 picks up on that. And I want us to pay attention to where we've been and what Paul has said in the previous chapters, because it will help us better understand what he's saying in this. Because if we take it at face value, what we read this morning, we'll miss some things. But Paul, Paul stresses, he, he, he continues here, he says, what advantage then is there being a Jew? So he's saying, because if you can be one in your heart through belief and trust in God, what advantage is there then to be a a, a Jew in the physical sense. Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? He says, yes, those are all important things. And great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's not, that's an important thing. But Paul is stressing that it's always the condition of the heart because those are important, great things and they're important for us, right? We are Christians. We carry the word of God in our hearts. We want to model the name of Jesus. Is that important? Yes. But if we don't have a relationship with the person in which we are trying to live out, do you, would you say there's a disconnect? Yes. And so Paul stresses here that God is faithful even when we are not. Now, what does that mean? God is faithful, always faithful, even when we are not. And that is challenged. Paul Paul alludes that there are some that will say. Did you hear that this morning in the word? There are some that will say, well, maybe my evil deeds, they glorify God, so why don't we just keep doing them? How often do we want our cake and want to eat it too? All the time, right? I'm going to sin and do what I want, and hey, there's there's a benefit. God will be glorified. So I'll just keep on doing that. Paul says, absolutely not, because that is a a phrase I'm going to use, is cheap grace. 
See, we use grace commonly in a way that uh, is a condoning nature. So if someone, if we're, by nature, we don't really like conflict. Who loves confrontation and conflict? There's some of us do. I kind of like it sometimes. It's exciting. <laughs> That's not necessarily healthy, but I'm just telling you. How many, how many really don't like confrontation or conflict? Okay. Does it take energy? Yes, it takes energy. And we don't like it. We shy away from it. It's not something we really want to participate in. And so if I have a situation and it's causing conflict, sometimes I'll say, I'll just show a little grace. Show a little grace and I'll back off. That's not God's grace. Yeah, it's, it's grace for me, not for them. That's getting me off the hook. That's not the kind of grace. That's cheap grace. So Paul's saying, no, God is so faithful and he's so magnificent that he holds and embodies and is in itself this grace that we can't explain because we feel like grace has to be this or it has to be this. But God does it where it's all kinds of things. How does he do that? I don't know. Do you know? No. We could try and explain it and theologize it and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. He just can. Sometimes we don't like that answer. How do they do that? I don't know. They just can. <laughs> Let that be enough. So there's these two pieces, God's faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness and his ability to be grace in the healthiest sense all the time. Because here it also says that he does punish and he does have wrath. And we don't like to hear that. How many of you like to hear that about a loving God? I mean, it's not something some of us do, but that's not really what we've come accustomed to. We don't like hearing that. I hate disappointing people. How many hate disappointing people? It ranks me inwardly. Now, I try not to let it, you know, decide my choices, but I feel it. I don't want to think about God's wrath. I don't want to think about his punishment. But it's there. So God has this way of we're saved by grace, but let's not forget those who don't want him are going to experience the wrath. That's what it is. How that looks, I don't know. But that being said, giving us this little framework, God cannot be who he's not. He always has to be faithful. Now I'm going to ask you a yes or no question, and you say yes or no. <laughs> Yeah, some of us need, need that instruction a little bit further. <laughs> Does God desire for us to trust and obey? Yes? Okay. Pretty simple to answer. Does trust and obedience require surrender? Yes, it does. So if we follow this to its logical course... God has to be faithful so that we can surrender and trust. He always has to be. He can't not. So if he says he's going to do something, regardless of our behavior, he has to. Because it's hard enough when we see Jesus do all that he does to still trust. Because our nature is to explain it away. Because we have to have an answer to what we don't know. It can't just be like, I don't have any answer, but I trust him. It's like, no, I've got to, wow, he did this miraculous thing. And then when we get distance from it, we can explain it away. 
No, he's always faithful. And sometimes if we still get what we, sh- we don't deserve, someone say, well, that's cheap grace. He's a wussy God. No, he's not. He's a faithful God. Him being faithful all the time gives you every opportunity to finally trust him. It affords us an opportunity every moment of every day to trust him because we know he'll always be good. Now, I'm going to show you a clip from, I'm a movie guy. I love movies. I think God speaks through them. It's a, it's a type of storytelling, just like in books. And if we look carefully, we can see God's heart coming out through man and through humanity. And, and one of my favorite movies um, is a movie called The Search for Bobby Fischer. And Bobby Fischer was a master chess player, one of the best to ever live. And this story uh, in this movie is about a, a prodigy, a kid prodigy named Josh Waitzkin, who's a sweet kid. And he ends up growing up to be a national champion, all this stuff. But his dad plays him in chess one time. He didn't even know that his son knew how to play because he's like eight. And he whoops his dad, just whoops him. His dad says, okay. Um, at first, he lets his dad win. And then he could tell that his son was really good and was holding back. So he said, okay, don't hold back. And then you see him get serious in game mode and just whoops him. So his dad sets him up with a master teacher. And this master teacher is one that he should be listening to. And we see that there's this moment where Josh has to realize what he thinks reality is is not really the reality. So take a look. Mate is four moves from the position in front of you. Don't move until you figure it out in your head. Don't look to me for a hand. I can't do it without moving the pieces. Yes, you can. Clear the lines of men in your head, one at a time, and the king will be left standing alone, like a guy on a street corner. Here, I'll make it easier for you. What did you see? Go ahead, tell me. You can tell me. It doesn't have to be a secret. What did you see? What did you observe? What? Ben Kingsley. Yep, Ben Kingsley with hair. Yeah, another one. He revealed something to him that he didn't see before. What else? We end with an empty board. Are the pieces important to play chess? Yes. But in the lesson, they weren't there. Why? They were what? They were obstacles. They're important, but they were obstacles. 
and the master of this game told him to do something. I'm going to make it easier for you. What? And clears it. Do you see the boy's response? How often, when God messes with the pieces we have on the board, as important as they may be, when he's like, whoa, they're distracting you, and he does that, how often will we go, what? Has God done that in your life? And we go, why? What is going on? If you look closely, the boy was frantically trying to find what the answer was. And he had someone that was faithful enough and gracious enough to sit with him and slow it down. And when he slowed it down and he listened and he stopped looking at what was there because that's what he was shown and taught, when he started listening, what happened? He began to see. He began to see. Biblically speaking, all, the law, is it good? Yes. It's good. Are the things that we do to honor the Lord good? Yes. Are the things the Jews are, are, are told to guard or to, to, given the responsibility to hold the oracles of God? Are they good? Yes. But when they become a distraction, we lose sight of the faithful father. We lose sight of it. And then we make meaning out of the pieces instead of letting God clear them and say, let me show you. Let me show you. And trust me. Why does Paul say through his letters and show over and over the doctrine of faith? Because trust is at the center of everything. He's talking about faithfulness. He keeps showing over and over and over in his letters the faithfulness of God. That we have every opportunity to trust him, which means we have to trust him when we don't see the next move. We have to trust him when all our plans and all the things, even, even if they come from great intentions in great places, God can do what he wants. And if he wants to move those out of the way because they've become distraction, we have to come to a place where we can move from shock to settling in to the reality that our board is clear and the person across me, that being God, is the only one that can help me navigate it. It's, a, it's one little scene, and it preaches, if we look at it, in a healthy way. But here's the kicker. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. Is it not? It's hard. You can trust to a point, right? I can trust someone to a point based off maybe their qualifications. I'm trusting a server is not going to spit my food, even though that may happen. I'm trusting that my teacher in college has the credentials and the experience and everything to teach me something that will be positive. Would I trust them with my kids? No. Would I trust them with the things I value most? No, because I don't have a relationship. Now, when I was, um, well, this has kind of been my whole thing. I don't like daytime television. When all, you know, it's like 11 o'clock, all the soap, soap operas come on and, and, and the I Love Lucy reruns. And no, nothing against I Love Lucy. Just I, just, I don't know. I can watch it at night. I can't watch it in the morning. There's something to it. There are these things. And one of the things that was on a lot was PBS. And I swore that I would never watch PBS. It was boring. Absolutely boring. 
Well, now I'm watching PBS British shows all the time. Literally all the time. I mean, well, not all the time. I don't have that much time. But in the evenings, I will, I will watch. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I watching PBS Masterpiece Theater? I mean, it just sounds boring. But I'm learning something. You have all these British shows now that are talking about the monarchies and all of that stuff. You have Victoria and the Queen, and, you know, all this stuff. But one of the things I've noticed is that you have the monarchy and their subjects. Now listen carefully here. You have the monarchy and their subjects. And they will do what they're told to do because they understand their place. But when a decision has to be made that they don't understand, there are some in the characters designed to in the show to leave what they were once loyal to to something else because they don't trust. Why don't they trust? Because they trust the relationship of the positions and not the relationship between the people. They don't have access. But some of the shows have some of the servants having relationship with the monarchy. So when things blow up that they don't understand, they know the one making the decisions and so they trust, even though they don't know why they're doing it. That preaches... Paul is saying, (laughs) he is faithful all the time. All the time, he is faithful. He cannot be anything other than faithful or else we can't trust in him ever. He has to be faithful even if it looks like it's cheap grace. And newsflash, it's not cheap grace. And if we approach him as if it's cheap grace with this attitude, well, my sin will glorify God because it just shows how true he is, we're going to miss the most important thing. We become the servant that now is just obsessed with the position and not the person. And we lose it. And we miss it. When you look at this at face value, it could seem like it's a bunch of procedures and right doctrine. No, it's right posture and place. Are the doctrines important? Absolutely. Is the law important? Absolutely. But relationship in Jesus gives meaning to those things beyond our own. Josh Waitskin thought because he knew how to play chess well, he knew the posture he needed to be in and the moves he needed to make. And he realized in one moment, that clip took a minute and 20 seconds, in one moment he was missing the entire thing. And when he settled in to listen and not be reactive, he heard, he saw, and he moved. See, the Jews became reactive when things got hard. When Paul says some were unfaithful, you, 40 years in the desert and God reveals himself in unbelievable ways. I mean, think about how he got the Hebrews out of Egypt. He's shown himself faithful and we still, as It's human nature. We want to explain it away because we don't understand how he did it or if he'll do it again. And Paul says again, he's always faithful even when you're not. He'll continue to be always, 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 even when you think he's disappointed you. I want to hear from God. I want to because things aren't going well. I've asked him for this and this is not happening. And you know what I find We ask the question, Lord, what do you want to say? I find in my own heart, we want to want to hear what he has to say, but we really don't. We want him to hear what we have to say and then make decisions from that. If we really, really 
want to hear what he has to say, we have to allow him to clean our board off. And we have to have this posture from this what, reactive what, to okay. And wait. And there's a line he said, don't move until you see it. Don't move. We feel movement means we're being productive. Sometimes stillness and waiting is the best thing we can do. Because now we're not on our clock, we're on his. If I can allow myself to be still for a moment and hear him and wait for him to say something, I don't have to worry about my next move to feel better about the not knowing. We're in a new year. And for me, it's hard to adjust. It's like same stuff, different day. (laughs) But we are in a new year, and it's significant. And it helps us kind of track where we've been and where we want to go. But instead of filling that board, if you will, with pieces that we think are important, as important as they may be, we make declarations. We, we want to make changes. We want to do, I need to do something different this year so that I can feel this way or improve this way. And that's fine. And I'm not saying don't do that, but understand the heart and the underneath. Keep it empty so that God can say, don't move until you see it, and we can hear him say it. And as a church, we have to be mindful and watchful of the climate around us and not be distracted, but to always constantly go on, okay, we're not going to move until we see it. Because when you look at the climate around us, whether you're on this side of issues or that side of issues, we want to do something. We want to change something. We want to put our hands in stuff. When we look at the climate of the church, we go, well, this church does it well and this church doesn't do it. Well, let's mess with it. No. God is faithful. It's his church. It's not out of control. It's not out of his control. He is always faithful. Do I need to say it again? He is always faithful, even when we are not. But it grieves us when we see other people not being faithful the way we think they should, and we feel like we got to do something, and maybe sometimes God will call us to do that, but we don't move until he tells us. Because if we try to fix things that are not ours to fix yet, The problem doesn't get better, does it? It gets worse. The Hebrews made a golden calf. They did all these other things, even Moses. Because they couldn't wait. They were afraid in the stillness and of not knowing. And that's when they made decisions that were unfaithful. That moment of fear and not knowing. We're going to have that every day of our life. And I love when God can lead me to a place personally where I can say, I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. I just know he's going to. How he does it, I don't know. I don't even care. I just know he's going to do it. If I could feel that way about every avenue of my life, I don't know how God is going to reconcile this relationship. I just know that he will if I show up with him. All right. We cannot be afraid of the not knowing when we have a faithful God. We have, we have no excuse. Does that mean we'll get it perfectly? No, I'm not saying that. I think God allows failure. I think he allows us to do our best listening. Sometimes we get it wrong. I'm not talking about intentional sinning. I'm talking about we're trying. We're doing our best listening. 
His grace for that, again, not cheap grace, because that grace leads us into deeper intimacy with God. But he's working on us. But he's given us something to work with. He's made, Paul said it beautifully, in legal terms, he makes his case and he always wins. He is always faithful. If we can leave today with that understanding in our head and allow it to drift into our heart, we're in good shape, folks. There's a lot we have to work on as people and as a congregation that God wants to continue to st- us to step into, but we've got we've to trust the one that is faithful. And we know that. We would say that to people. We need to trust God. But we have to be reminded of it so it becomes a relational trust and not just a fundamental trust or an intellectual trust or I know I need to trust, but it becomes something that is actually evident and the steps that I take with Jesus. Is this clear? It's hard. The unknown is not fun, but it is fun when we stay with Jesus and he goes, ha. Ah. Sometimes it's like that. Ah. And we love him for it, amen? All right, well, let, let us pray. Lord, we are in awe of your goodness and your faithfulness. And it's easy to say harder to live, but we are dedicated to living it. We are dedicating ourselves to you in a way that you can have your way. Our tendency, we want to count the cost of what it'll cost us. But I want to get out of that mindset, Jesus. I know personally I do. It's good to process what you're saying, but I don't want to count the cost out of fear. I want you to have all of me, every nook and cranny, scary as it might be at times. And I pray that for everyone here, that you would lead us to a place of trust and obedience that comes from surrender. I don't know how you you do what you do. You can and you do it. And that's good enough for me because we trust you because you're faithful. Lord, as we enter this time of our tithes, giving you our tithes and our offerings, we are reminded of your faithfulness over this past year as you provided every need. And we trust and know that you are faithful to continue as we continue to walk with you, as we continue to ask you what you want to say. So I pray as the offering plate comes by, Uh, If it was once a stumbling block for us, it's now a place of reassurance that you are faithful in all things. In the sacrifice of our time, our finances, and our relationships, you are faithful. I ask that you would move, continue to move in this place as we engage you in worship through song, through spirit through the lyrics and the music and the fellowship. And every time that we come together and worship, you would intensify or we would feel an intensity from your presence and your spirit because we become more and more aware of you. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace that is not cheap but glorious. 
We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Unravel me with melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave.
Yeah.